Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, marhaben, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories. I'm your host, Betsy Olam. Thank you for joining us and listening. Today, we're going to talk about a very cool U.S. product made right here in Tennessee, which has created a remarkable brand for itself in export markets. The product is an amphibious vehicle, and the manufacturer is Hydrotrek. And here in the studio to tell us some of Hydrotrek's amazing export stories is Craig Simonton, Vice President of Sales and Marketing. Hello, Craig, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Betsy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. So, first thing, we'd like to get to know you a little better. And uh, so, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and where you went to school, that kind of thing? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Covington, Tennessee, which is uh, 40 miles north of Memphis. Uh, born and raised there in Covington, uh, Covington High graduate. And I did both of my uh, college educations here in Tennessee. I went to Tennessee Tech University in Cookville and also Cumberland University in Lebanon. So I've spent most of my life here in Tennessee. And, uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> but So you finished school and you got a graduate degree, I guess, in business, was it? Yeah, a master's in business administration. And then you went to Chicago? I did have a 13-month transition period there, so I was uh, I was roughly 24 years old when I finished grad school, and uh, I was very ambitious, and I did want to get outside of Tennessee and see what the world had to offer, so uh, I took a job with Motorola at their corporate office in Schaumburg, Illinois, and uh, I packed up all my belongings, which wasn't much at the time. And We've all done that in those early days. Moved to downtown Chicago and uh, lived there for 14 months. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, however, the, the big city life uh, was not the same as, as small town life here in Tennessee. And I think we got 54 inches of snow that year, oh, no. which was considerably different than what I was accustomed to, and cost of living was substantially higher. Oh, sure. And so uh, I quickly returned back to my roots in Tennessee. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you hear people talking about doors open and close at particular times in your life, and yeah. that was a big move for me because as soon as I came back uh, to Tennessee, Hydrotrek was... Uh, looking for a sales salesman to start their sales and marketing campaign, and that door opened as soon as I moved back home amazing. to Tennessee. So, isn't that great? How timing is amazing. How timing works like that. So, how did you connect with Hydrotrek? Well, the the founding owners of the company um, have been lifetime family friends. Uh, the Rose family there in Covington. I grew up with. Uh, some of their sons and daughters and had known them for 20 plus years before this ever came uh, became available and uh, 
when I moved home from Chicago, I, I ran into one of the Rose family members and, um, hey, Craig, what are you doing? What's going on? You're done with school now. What, what you looking to do? And I told him I was up for anything. And he said, well, we're ready to start rolling with Hydrotrek. How about you come interview and, and talk with us about it? And I said, sure. Wow. And it, it was a good fit because uh, our product is a uh, outdoors product, swamps, marshes, wetlands, snow, mountain terrains, and I'm an outdoors person. I hunt and fish and, yeah. and rode dirt bikes and ATVs growing up. <laughs> so it was a, a pretty easy fit for me mm -hmm. to get involved with this product. That's great. So, so um, can you tell us a little bit about how the idea for the business originated with these, uh, this family? Yes, yeah, so the, uh, the Roses uh, were always avid outdoorsmen. They, they uh, uh, had a passion for hunting and fishing. And um, there was another similar product, amphibious vehicle, that they were using uh, for their duck hunting operations. And they, they just weren't satisfied with the uh, performance, the durability, the results they were getting from this vehicle. And uh, Is it uh, one that had been around for a long yeah, time? Yeah, one that had been on the market for 40 years at wow. that time, uh, manufactured in Canada. And uh, uh, the late Mr. Coy Rose, who, who's one of the original founders, uh, he and Louis Gaither, uh, they just, a light bulb went off one day, hey, let's build our own amphibious vehicle. And if we can perfect it and prove it, let's sell it to the duck hunting market. There's other, we're just two duck hunters of millions across the country. Um, let's see if we can do something with this. So that's, so duck hunting is kind of the roots of our okay. product and where it started. Now we quickly went in different directions from hunting, but uh, that's where it was all founded. Um. So, yeah, so let's talk about some of the incidents or occurrences that took the business beyond uh, recreational. Uh, I don't know if one of the first ones was Katrina, but you mm. mentioned Katrina when we spoke before. So. Yeah, so that, that was probably a, uh, a defining moment uh, for the Rose family and, and for others as to uh, what else this product can do other than duck hunting. Uh, so some of the original prototypes were built in that 2003-2004 timeframe and they were uh, testing the vehicles with, with multiple uh, outfitters and, and guide services for the hunting application. But then Katrina happened in uh, 2005 and I think it was an eye-opener for the, for the management staff, the owners, that our vehicle may be able to uh, be used to go into these flooded communities and uh, help evacuate people and even rescue people from from tops of roofs and and from cars and um, you know Hurricane Katrina we all remember that event and it was oh, yeah. it was so widespread across New Orleans um, there were just thousands of people that were stranded due to flood water. And, um, you know, there's, there's boats that are used for rescue purposes, but those boats have limitations when you come to dry ground. Uh, there's high water vehicles that can go through four, five, six feet of water, but then what happens when you get to 10, 12, 15 feet of water? Uh, that's the same for trucks and, and other ATVs. So um, 
the hydro trek is a blend of a boat and a vehicle mm-hmm. where it has land applications and water applications and so that that 2005 2006 time frame was another kind of jolt for the company to uh, look into other market areas other than duck hunting mm-hmm. um so, uh, and, and are there any limitations as far as water for the vehicle? I mean, it can it only go in a certain depth or, uh, you know? Well, in, in terms of uh, limitations, really, the, the, the limitation for it is uh, large waves and strong current. Okay. Um, so it floats like a boat. So it, it begins to float at four feet-ish and you can take it in a hundred feet of water. You can take it in a thousand feet of water. Um, the limitations though are those three foot, four foot, five foot waves that mm-hmm. have the possibility of, of lapping into the vehicle and, and submerging it. And then the really strong current, um, it, it's... Like the Mississippi River current Well, sometimes? no, so the Mississippi River is acceptable for our vehicles. We've tested them in the Mississippi River. Um, in some instances, you may go in at point A and you have to come out downriver because the current pushes you downriver. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the super fast flowing water, uh, 15, 20 miles per hour, white rapids, that type of stuff. I see. That's, you wouldn't take this vehicle into those conditions. Okay, okay. I wouldn't go in those conditions in, in hardly any. Uh, but yeah, over the, my travels over the last several years, I've been in Arkansas River, Mississippi River, Snake River, and um, rivers all across Louisiana and Florida. And um, you know, with with some common sense and good judgment, you can uh, go in and out of those water, waterways, those river systems, and safely do your operation and come back out fascinating it really is a fascinating product so um so then it's evolved uh, to be using some commercial uses like mining oil and gas can you tell us something about that because i can see how that would really open up export markets as would search and rescue yeah so another defining point in in the company history uh, tennessee valley authority approached hydrotrek in i believe the 2008 time frame after they got wind of our product and what we were developing and uh, they saw an application for it on their power line right away so a, a lot of these uh, these line structures they they span over river systems mm-hmm. they span over marshes uh, they're often constructed you know out of sight away from high population areas and those rural places have river bottoms that flood and things like that. So uh, power companies and oil and gas companies and other commercial operations, they too have to deal with uh, wetlands, marshes, muddy, nasty terrain. Uh, sometimes they have to deal with, uh, with uh, cattails and wild grasses and briars that grow four foot, six foot, eight foot in height. and they have to get in and out of these places to inspect overhead lines or underground pipelines. Sure. And um, and those things like the tall uh, marshes of that doesn't get caught in the wheels or, or I, mean, I know it's not a wheel. It's I can't remember. I'm not sure. It's a track system. Tra- track system. Yeah. So most of our vehicles have track systems on them, and uh, 
um, it's it's not the same track as a bulldozer or as, or an excavator, but it's similar in the fact that it it knocks down what it goes over. Okay. Um, to a degree, you yeah. know, up to four or five inch saplings, but uh, heavy briars and buck brush and those grasses, it, it just lays it down and, and crawls over it and keeps going. Wow. And another challenge that those folks have, so. They also have to deal with the reptiles and, and the animals out there in the environment. So uh, they're stepping on or around water moccasins and alligators and things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, so our vehicle, um, in some applications, helps them get in and out of these remote wetland terrains uh, safely, effectively, uh, so they can complete their jobs. That sounds awesome. I think I would want to be in one of those vehicles if I'm near alligators or water moccasins. Uh, can anybody? I mean, is it easy to drive? Is it complicated? To- no, it's it's very easy to drive. So it's a it's a diesel engine, a hydraulic drive system. Um, we have two control levers, um, and it drives very similar to a zero turn lawnmower. If you're familiar with that, uh, you have a a control lever for the left side of the vehicle. A control lever for the right side of the vehicle and the way they're positioned you can operate it with one hand and uh, take them both forward to go forward you pull them back to reverse and you rotate them left to right to do your turns uh, it has a 360 degree turning radius um, and with just a, a two inch movement of your wrist you can turn the vehicle in a 360. Wow. Whether you're on land or in in water? Yeah, they operate the same way, land and water. Wow. That's that's amazing. So, um, when did uh, Hydratrek first begin exporting, and how how did that come about? So, the the first export that I can recall was just before my arrival at Hydratrek, and that was to Canada. Okay. Um, What kind of... That was, incident or I mean who who was interested yeah it in was a uh, communications company in uh, Slave Lake Alberta and uh, like the like Tennessee Valley Authority they have these communication towers that are way out in the remote wilderness and in order to get there and do their service or construct new towers they have to traverse multiple types of terrain muskeg is what they call up there in Canada it's a floating marsh that's mm. super nasty and mucky um, and is it, it cold in that area it is in the winter months it's cold and, and that's where I was going in the winter time they have to deal with snow and ice that oh. they have to traverse and um, our vehicles can handle that terrain so wow. the first international export was to Canada and it was for the telecommunications industry and that was just before my arrival to Hydratrek. So I joined the team in uh, October of 2009. And when I came into the company, uh, we were really just just scratching the surface at sales and marketing. So only a, only a few small sales had been made at that time. Uh, they had just put a company president in place to head the operation and run the business. Um, it was four or five guys that built the products it was an engineer on staff that designed everything and um, so I came in at a really early stage uh, of the company even though the prototypes and a lot of the testing had been going on for six or seven years at Mm -hmm. that point but uh, I came in at uh, you know 25 years old I was pretty fresh out of uh, college and grad school 
I just moved home from Chicago and uh, I had a love for the product because of its outdoor application mm -hmm. and my background with that. And so I was just as eager and as ambitious as I could be when I signed up to put this product in front of any and everybody that would listen to yeah, it and would yeah. talk about it. Sure. And it, it's never hard to find somebody that, that will talk about it, especially when I trailer these things around the country. Yeah. Uh, I stop for fuel, I stop for food, I stop at hotels. It instantly attracts oh, I bet. anybody that sees this I thing bet. on the trailer. Um, so, so I came in and I pretty much had free range on um, how to market and how to sell this. Now, I, w I was green with sales. I'd never sold anything at that point in my life. So this was all very brand new to me. And um, so I, I first focused on Louisiana and South Mississippi and Florida because of their coastal areas. There's a lot of marshes and swamps down there. And uh, I put my first emphasis there. And then moving into that first calendar year, 2010, uh, there was a major flood that happened in Australia. And uh, I just naturally started looking beyond the United States. Sure. Uh, if, if we can use them right here on our coastlines, well, there's tens of thousands of miles of coastlines globally. You know, right. Why can't these things be used everywhere else? And so I made some contacts in uh, in Australia and several other countries. And you know, before you know it, 2010, 2011, we started exporting to Australia, to China, to Taiwan, uh, back to Canada. We we continued more business in Canada. Wow. And uh, you know, jump ahead to today. I think we've exported to 18 or 19 countries directly from our facility. Wow. And then indirectly, they've been shipped to another five or six countries. So do you sell only through dealers, or do you have some direct sales as well? We do both direct and dealer sales. So what we've learned from an international business standpoint, it's it's very important to have local representation, particularly yes. in those areas where there's a big language barrier yes. or uh, even cultural sure. barriers. Sure. Um, some of those countries, in order to do business with their governments, it's a requirement that it comes from a local agent or local representative. Even though the product's manufactured in another country, right. it has to be represented and uh, the after-sale service has to be provided locally. And so <clears throat> that's what I focused on all these years was from an international standpoint is dealers and partners in these various countries to help promote our product there and, and complete the sales. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worked pretty good for us. We're, we're still a small company. Uh, I think we have uh, 18 or 19 employees at this time. Um, That's amazing that that many people can build those vehicles. Yeah, we're, uh, we're producing... Uh, you know, on average, 25, 26 of these units per year. Uh, 2019 is on track to be our, our best year in company history. Uh, we still have a lot of small business challenges, and uh, you know, we've been saying this a lot over the years. Uh, these challenges is growth pains. It's growth pains. You know, sure. it's growth pains. And uh, we just had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. So now we have 
we have a backlog of about 26 units to build, which is a very healthy backlog for us. Sure. And we're having to uh, quote our customers out 10 months, 11 months, 12 months to get your new vehicle to you. That's how long the backlog is. And uh, that's creating some tension and some frustration mm-hmm. with our international partners because they want them there next month. Of course. Um, because they have customers that they're selling these to and they have contracts yeah. in place and they're wanting to make money and, yeah. and things like that. So um, we were talking about it's growth pains, you know, we're having some growth pains here. But that's Well, not. that's not a bad situation. You, you'll figure out how to increase it or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's just part of learning, but that's very exciting. Um, tell us uh, about some of the most interesting markets that you've uh, visited and worked with. Uh, what are some stories that you have? Yes, yeah, so I would say China is probably the most interesting market. Uh, China is certainly our, I would say, largest international market in terms of uh, vehicles shipped mm-hmm. to that country. Uh, we probably have... Uh, 15 to 18 vehicles in China at this time. Uh, we just shipped uh, two there a couple of months ago, and we should be closing an order next week for four more units to China. And so China... Are they fully, uh, when when you ship the units, are they fully, uh, I mean, are they broken down? Or No, they're fully assembled, and they are ready. When, once they arrive to their ultimate destination, they're ready to go. Can they fit in a container, or do you have to ship them on a roll-on, roll-off? So in, until about two years ago, everything would fit into a container. Uh, two years ago, we redesigned our largest model, and it became even bigger, and we failed to take into consideration the container door width and door uh, height. Oh boy. So we redesigned it to increase the flotation and to make it a more stable, safe platform. And the redesign is fantastic. The, the machine is, is great, but it will no longer drive into a container. What about a flat bed container or well, flat, yeah, flat so rack? We, they call have, we have shipped four of those models internationally now. And they do have to go on either by roll-on, roll-off, or yeah. a flat rack. Right. Um, now, the downside, um, and our dealers have taken issue with this, previously we could ship a container from Covington to China for um, for 3400 bucks, and we mm-hmm. could put two to three vehicles in there. Wow. Now, with this larger unit, which is our most popular vehicle as well, the rate has increased to about $10,000 for one vehicle. Wow. So the rate's almost tripled uh, for one vehicle. And uh, our, our China dealer in particular has uh, just insisted that we find a way to reduce the size and they would, or kit it out, you know, yeah. kit it out somehow, sure. ship it to them. I think there's some... Uh, import taxes and duties that they could potentially save their if it's if it's broke not down and yeah, yeah and they have to do some manufacturing on it in China right but uh, we're we're reluctant to to scale back on this vehicle because we just increased the size of it on purpose to right. make it a better right. platform and then from the kidding standpoint uh, we're very reserved uh 
particularly with the China market and their, uh, you know, their history of of copycatting products yes. and uh, rebuilding and, yes. and knocking your product off. Right, uh, intellectual so, property issues. Yeah. Exactly. Now, could they take the full vehicle, disassemble it, and come up with all of it and rebuild? Yes, they could, but that's a ton more work for them oh, to sure. have to do. So our preference is to, to keep it as is, and they'll just have to just have to deal with the increased cost of freight, um, and it's passed on to their customer, yeah. and so they just have to explain that to their customer. And, sure. And and even though they beat us up about that a lot, they we shipped them two earlier this year, and they're about to order four more. Sure. So it's not hindering business too much. Right. You know? Right. They're just. C- complaining, <laughs> they're whining and complaining it's a little so bit. So to, to further with China being so interesting, so I've made two trips there, and both times I I was on the ground in China for about six days. Of course, it's a couple days to get there and a couple days to get home, so it's a ten or eleven day deal. But uh, I was I was just very uh, I, I didn't know China really before this and. Uh, it's just an eye opener to the amount of people, right? So we're in all these cities: Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and it's it's unbelievable the millions and the millions of people that are packed into these cities. Absolutely, and they they live vertically there. So here in the U.S., we like our space, we like right. our yards, we like to have right. as few neighbors as possible. In some cases, there in China, they live in you know seventy, eighty, ninety story buildings, condos, on top of each other, and. You know that was interesting, and, and of course the uh, there's a big language barrier. So some of them do speak English, but it's it's broken English, and you know we have our own way of talking, and and sometimes there's a communication barrier that you have to deal with. And I think the biggest thing is the food, the food difference between. <laughs> I've heard that here from a number of people, so I, I've been to China myself, so I know what you're saying. I eat some very strange things in China, <laughs> and. Uh, the the polite thing to do, the respectful thing to do, is to at least try it. Yes. And so I at least tried everything, and um, if you don't like it, you don't like it. And I think yeah. it's okay to say, hey, no, I don't want any more. Yeah. But uh, I could go on into what that the description. Didn't you mention donkey to me? Donkey. I looked at my notes. I said, did he say donkey? Yes. What uh, country was that? China. That was China. That was China. Uh, donkey burger matter of fact, <laughs> is what it was. The the menu had a donkey on the front of the jackass. And uh, <laughs> so it donkey and, and there was uh, one time we ate uh, well goose liver is a delicacy there. Sure. And that's interesting and mm-hmm. uh, there was a time we had some type of squid and it, it came out of the aquarium, out of the water and went into the boiling pot live, yeah. you know, and Fifteen minutes later, you're eating it. You know, that's, <laughs> that's as fresh as it gets. That's a little bit different. I mean, I understand that with lobster and stuff, but yeah. squid's different, right? We don't eat a lot of squid here, or I don't anyway. Yeah. So. Oh, good. Well, it's 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 interesting, and, and uh, it makes you appreciate different uh, cultures, and uh, that's it's fascinating. Um, 
You had mentioned in our discussion earlier that some of the um, challenges that you face, like all exporters, uh, I think you mentioned export compliance. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about what some of the challenges have been? Yeah, so um, I mentioned that, uh, you know, the first export was to Canada, and Canada is not, the paperwork is not quite as stringent as other countries. Uh, You complete an AFTA agreement, you have your commercial invoice, and... um, couple other things and and that's it so the the first export that I was involved with was uh, was to China and um, just I had no idea what you know what all you need we make our internal invoice and uh, there's not a NAFTA agreement form to fill out for China no Uh, you make a commercial invoice well long story short uh, the shipment got held up in customs somewhere. Oh. I can't remember if it was on our side or on their side, but it got held up and delayed for lack of paperwork oh, and boy. lack of documentation yeah. to explain what this was and what uh, uh, what uh, HS code mm-hmm. um, it fell under right. and, and that type of stuff. And so we had to, uh, you know, just quickly shuffle through that and and it's been a self-taught process, really, for me these last several years. And Have you worked with a freight forwarder? Uh, we've worked with freight forwarders, and I've I've taken advice from them and gotten insight from them as to what all needs to be done. Uh, I've made my own charts that I keep on my desk now when I ship to China. I need this paperwork, Japan, this paperwork. Right. And uh, Google has been a great friend <laughs> yeah. and Love resource, Google. and and just. Yeah. You know, what all do I need to export here and there? Yeah. Uh, fortunately, we we classify as EAR 99. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, we, we have to claim EAR 99. Is uh, it something that our government requires? Well, it's basically because it's a vehicle. It's a non-militarized vehicle. Yeah. And it's not... Uh, it's not hazardous cargo. It's not weaponized by right. any degree. So, I believe that EAR ninety nine classification has to do with uh, a non militarized vehicle. So basically, you're declaring that it's not military. That's right. That's right. So, so I was wondering if there was a military application, but I guess you'd have to change the vehicle to. Well, so we have sold two of our vehicles to. The U.S. Air Force here in mm-hmm. country, uh, they both of these air forces have uh, large bombing ranges that are uh, swampland. Mm. One's in South Florida, one's in North Carolina. Yeah, and they they use our vehicle to to pull their targets out into the swamp, and then they do their target practice with the jets and the, the bombers, and then they go out and recover the material oh, wow. after that. Um, we hope to see a bigger military application we've that's one of the things we uh, we've, we don't hang our hat on it but we know if we can uh, develop a military version mm-hmm. uh, that it could be something that takes our company to a, to a whole new level oh I would see that yeah and we we have worked some things with some partnerships and uh Ultimately, I believe it's going to be an autonomous platform. I think it will be a drone-type all-terrain vehicle that is um, essentially a pack mule for troops uh, where they can take all of their gear off, 
put it onto this platform. Oh, wow. And this vehicle follows a squad of troops in and out of the field. Uh, you wow. can send it back to the base to refuel or to get more ammunition. I think that's probably... So an unmanned vehicle. An unmanned all-terrain vehicle that, wow. like I said, is kind of a pack mule concept. Yeah. Uh, where it lightens up the soldier's load. He he just has his weapon and his ammunition. And, oh, my gosh. You know, I, I, I read not too long ago, soldiers carry 120 pounds of gear when they pack out into the field with, with all their camping arrangements and their food provisions. And, and that must water. take a lot of energy. It, it has to. It uh, has to. Wow. Boy, that sounds like something out of Avengers or Star Wars or something, but that's exciting. Yeah, and so that's uh, that's not... I didn't come up with that idea. That's some things that are that have are working in the marketplace now, mm-hmm. and some things sure. we're trying to work on and get into that yeah. avenue. Oh, that would be great. Well, for many uh, exporting sectors in the U.S. right now, the export market is soft and it's difficult. You know, a lot of markets around the world are are uh, their economies are not doing well. What is you know, Hydratrex's perspective right now on exporting. Well, it's it's really the complete opposite of that, right? So in two thousand, this year, two thousand nineteen, um, where two things are happening. One, we're we're on track for our best year in terms of revenue and volume of units produced, volume of vehicles, and ninety percent of our business at the end of this year will be international business. Wow! And that's uh, primarily. Uh, four countries it's uh, China Japan Vietnam and uh, Trinidad and Tobago will coming later this year but so we have our largest contract in company history active right now and that's to Vietnam uh, the Vietnamese government has purchased 20 of our vehicles for search and rescue um, that's an application I haven't touched on yet. Yeah, yeah, so, let's talk about that. I'd, yeah, I'd like so, to know more about that. You know, we have the, the commercial side of things that we've talked about. Well, we also sell our equipment to uh, local, state, and federal agencies for search and rescue operations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we talked about Katrina earlier. Right, right. And, um, and that was a jolt for the company. So we, we did get into that market and we have been able to capitalize on that over the years uh, there's probably 40 sheriff fire and emergency management agencies here in the u.s that have our equipment uh, oh. for emergency preparedness they they sit on a trailer in a warehouse uh, from new jersey all the way down to florida all the way around to coastal texas and when a hurricane hits uh, makes landfall and and widespread flooding happens they roll these vehicles out and uh, do inspections evacuations rescues in some mm-hmm. cases um, as we speak today uh, two of our vehicles are being used in New Orleans right sure now. we're just reading about uh, the flooding and, and it hasn't even become a hurricane yet right. but it sounds like they're having more rainfall than normal even with it's not even a hurricane yet and they're having more rainfall than normal yes yeah, so so uh, essentially uh, in, in a way we've kind of been storm chasers over mm-hmm. the years we, yeah we pay attention to the hurricanes and the, the, the typhoons that happen internationally and um, and what's going on there and uh, this Viet, Vietnam contract that we have 
uh, is related to years of flooding that they've had in Vietnam and limited resources to combat all the terrains and situations that they face wow. during a catastrophe yeah. event like that. And so the uh, the National Search and Rescue Agency, which is a seem, essentially our FEMA mm-hmm, for Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, has purchased 20 and we're in the process wow. of manufacturing. And um, there's a discussion of 20 more will fall behind this first order. Uh, that's to be seen. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty exciting, though. Yeah. That's a great, great start in a market like that. That's yeah, sure. And that is our first, That this will yeah. be our first entry into Vietnam. Um, the the uh, shipments are broken into into three shipments, and the first shipment will go out in about uh, two weeks from now, the end of July. And so a trip to Vietnam is coming. Uh, these are all going to Hanoi uh, initially, uh-huh. and the, the initial training and product introduction everything will be done in Hanoi do you do that yourself yeah I'll be involved with that oh Um, wow I'm hoping to get uh, one or two more of our staff members to come with me yeah because it's 20 units and because it's going to be a large audience sounds like it typically on a a one or two unit delivery I take care of it all myself the training and and the orientation of the vehicle Mm -hmm. and everything but uh, an order of this magnitude it may take a little bit more sure get it done but sure. so a trip to to Vietnam is coming later in the year and uh, we have an active order in Japan the same thing Japan is search and rescue because of their uh, uh, what do you call them uh, cyclones of typhoons, typhoons. Cyclones, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, exactly their their federal search and rescue agency essentially their FEMA um, just received two earlier in the year and they just ordered three more and so uh, we'll have a trip to Japan later. Now, I, I noticed there were two different products names on the website. Mm-hmm. Is, is the search and rescue vehicle a little different from, I, I can't remember what the name was. Well, so we have two brands. We yeah. have Hydrotrek, yeah. which is the roots of our company where we started. And two and a half years ago, we acquired another amphibious vehicle manufacturer called Land Tamer. That's it. Land Tamer started in Montana in, um, I believe, 1999. So their history goes four or five years earlier than Hydrotrek. Uh-huh. And uh, the it was a small uh, father-son operation with a couple builders. And uh, he stayed in the market for uh, about 17 years or so. And... Uh, made some sales Uh, he did some exporting with his vehicles as well and I believe he got to a point to where uh, either either he was ready to retire or the funding was challenging to continue operations so he he decided to sell his business and um, we were one of the first people that he contacted I think he contacted Polaris first to see if Polaris had any interest in amphibious vehicles and um, after a discussion with us and a, a visit both ways and some of the future opportunities, we decided to acquire Land Tamer. And so we've been building Land Tamers for about two and a half years, and uh, I think we've built 12 or 13 of these vehicles. Do you build them in Tennessee as yeah, well? we build them in the same factory in Covington. Uh, and we've shipped all 12, 13 of those to China. Oh. We have not done a domestic land tamer sale yet. All of those have been 
China. Goodness. So, well, uh, I think. And how is that? Uh, how is the land tamer different than the Hydra truck? More than anything, it's the aesthetics, the look of the vehicle. It's kind of like uh, a Chevrolet look on one hand and a Ford look on on the other. You know, okay. it's. Uh, they both have diesel engines, hydraulic drives. They're made from aluminum. Mm -hmm. uh, they both float. They have propellers on the back. So uh, they're they're very similar. Uh, they just look a little different. Um, and we're thinking there may be some different applications for the land tamer mm -hmm. uh, that can help us expand a little bit. That's exciting. Well, I have to say, uh, it seems that with changing weather patterns and uh, you know climate change, there's going to be more. As I understand, there's going to be a lot more storms and a lot more water surge around the coastal areas. So y'all are probably going to be very busy yeah, in the future. It does seem like these floods are becoming more and more prevalent each yes, year. Yeah. You know, uh, the Mississippi River right here in Memphis and and all up and down the river. It's just went over a historic mark a couple of months ago. It's been at or above flood stage for seven months, eight months, nine months, and that's the longest. In, I've never heard of that before. It wow. has never stayed at the level that it's at now. Wow. Poor Arkansas. Uh, yeah, Arkansas. <laughs> well, farmers, farmers all up and down the river yeah. are taking a beating. Uh, sure. I read an article in just Lauderdale County, where I live, a couple counties north of here, 200,000 acres are underwater today. Uh, and farmers, they're way past planting time. Yeah, I mean, so, they, they only have a window, mm -hmm. so it's catastrophic. Uh, so that's that's really something. But, but it's really great to hear about a company that's vibrant and growing and has a really interesting product and I really appreciate your coming today to talk to us about it. I really enjoyed learning about it. I know our listeners will too. So. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, you know, being from a small town like Covington, we we have a lot of pride in, in our little small business sure. and the uniqueness of it and being able to have a, a global f footprint. Uh, never would I imagine growing up there in Covington sure. as a teenager and a high schooler that I'll be working here in just a few years for a company doing global things you know it's, uh, it is it's very it's i'm sure for the community and, it must be very exciting oh yeah they stand behind us and um, we have a great mayor and, and, and city government system up yeah. there that, that supports us that's great uh if you want to go ahead and tell us your website i know people will be interested to to look you up and learn more about it yeah it's it's hydrotrek.com and okay. um we do maintain, we try to, a social media presence. Uh, Facebook okay. is Hydrotrek Inc. Okay. And um, Instagram is Hydrotrek Amphibious. And okay. We try to put fresh content out there with our vehicles to keep people interested. Good, good. Well, thank you so much for being here, Craig. Really enjoyed speaking yep. with you. Thank you. All righty. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 